Align Your Practice podcast with Dr. Cliff Fisher, where your best practice and life awaits you. Are you tired of running a practice on your own? We want to come alongside you with experts to help you create your dream practice and your dream life. Here is your host. All right, tribe. Welcome to the Align Your Practice with Dr. Cliff and Dr. Joe, brought to you by Align Life, where we want to give you the tools to find and create your aligned life. This time we're still into the multipliers. I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about deba- um, debate makers and decision makers and investors and micromanagers. This will round out our, our five different types of geniuses and genius makers. So I'm super excited to dive into this. Joe, what's your thought? Well, let's recap where we were, uh, the different types. We're talking about behavioral styles of uh, in, in business on what causes you to multiply the impact you're making with your teams and productivity, and then what behavior styles, personality traits can actually diminish the impact and the productivity that you're making in your team, creating more cost, uh, the need for more team members, lower profit, and more stress. Now, who wants that? I don't think anyone wants that. So the idea <laughs> is to embrace more personality or behavior styles that drive you to multiply impact and productivity on your team versus diminish it. So the list of the type of personality traits that we brought up, uh, there's there's five that are multiplying in their uh, nature. One is called a talent magnet, which we went over on a previous podcast, liberators and challengers. And we went over all three of those. Today, we're going to go over uh, other personality, uh, you know, uh, traits that are more of the multiplying effect or as Cliff called the genius maker. Instead of being the genius yourself, you help make the geniuses on your team. The ones we're going to go over today are the debate maker and the investor. The other side of the coin is the, the traits and the behavior styles that are more diminishing in nature, diminish productivity, diminish outcome, diminish profit. And those were, we went over empire builders, tyrants, and know-it-alls, and I think we all found some areas where we all express some of those uh, traits and behavior styles. And today, we're going to go over people uh, in a diminishing mindset called decision makers and micromanagers. So I'm excited for this. Uh, these last two, Cliff. Yeah, me too. Um, I think it's just rounding out and just understanding. Like we've been going back and forth on our conversations. Like, is this a thing or is this a thing? Cause there's all these different topics that are brought up and is there overlap for sure. And so what this is doing though, is giving us some language so that we can have conversations with ourselves, with our teams, with our leadership group, so that we're talking about the same thing. Cause if we don't have the same language and we don't have clarity in our expectations and agreements, it's just going to like fall flat on the floor. So, so the next one we're talking about today is, are you a debate maker or a decision maker? So are you a debate maker or a decision maker? Let me go over what a debate maker is real quick. So again, debate maker versus decision maker. A debate maker engages people in rigorous debates. So you actually frame out and create debates to arrive at sound decisions. We're, we're in, in the context of this, people become challenged they own and understand the decisions made. And the key there is they own the decisions made. When we yeah. look at uh, um, the five dysfunctions of a team, Lucioni talks about um, having people be involved 
in yeah. the creation of uh, the plan or the goals or the outcomes that they have ownership in it. And once they lose ownership and the decisions made, then um, they don't have buy-in. And when they don't have buy-in, they're not compliant. When they're not compliant, you don't get the outcome. No matter what you're doing, whether it's launching a new service in your, your clinic, whether it's hiring new staff, whether it's handing on adversity, whatever it is, you want people to own the decisions that are made. So it's not just you, the owner, with a loud mouth controlling everything and making all the decisions. So that that's what the debate maker is. Well, I felt like you defined the decision maker by the second part you said, because they're making the decisions by themselves. They dominate the discussion and they just force their opinion on everybody. And so other people feel uninvolved. They don't have any buy-in because they didn't have any discussion on it. And they're confused because there's not clarity because usually the decision maker is like, already processed in their head what they want to do. And then they don't share how they got there. So then people don't know why they're doing it that way. And so then there's just a huge disconnect from your team. And I think that's one of the biggest things between the difference between a debate maker and to be a debate maker, you have to have a lot of trust on your team to be able to get into those conversations and to really fight for what you believe is right. Because one thing you don't ever want to do is compromise. You always want to do what's best for the company. And sometimes that takes, you know, headgear and boxing gloves. So again, like we've talked about in the past, there's times where you have to be, maybe be a decision maker, but the question is, are you always the decision maker? Are there times where you should be a debate maker and instill a debate amongst your team uh, in order for them to bring their awareness and their thoughts to the table? So that's, that's the question on the table now. Um, to become a debate maker, here's some of the context of what you can do to uh, to engage in that regard versus just being a decision maker all the time. Number one is you can frame the actual issue really clearly. You define what, why, who, and how the decision will be made. You yep. frame it out for the discussion. You're basically seeding a debate by stating, okay, what we want to do is figure out how we can do X, Z, Y, Z, one, two, three at this date, at this time to create this outcome. And I'd like to create a discussion. Michelle, why don't you start? Like, that's how you would frame it to, especially if you've always been a decision maker, be patient because that may take time. You may, they may not want to get vulnerable because they got eaten up in the past. So if yeah. your goal, the consciousness is you want to become a better debate maker, just have a little grace for yourself and for your team as you slowly change that culture. Um, and you want to spark constructive debates, um, create safety so so people won't hold back, not safety only with you, which is the biggest piece, is that you're not going to trump and control and invalidate and knock down, but also that safety with their coworkers. That another highly dominant personality isn't going to do the same. So you want to really create safety amongst the entire um, experience when you're creating a debate. Um, you want to demand uh, rigor, which is basically diverse views. Challenge With rigor, you're challenging people. Do you have facts on that? Do you have any research? Do you have any evidence? Give me your, I, I hear your opinion. Tell me the facts that back what you're saying. You can still challenge and still be a debate maker. That doesn't oh, yeah. make you a decision maker. So you don't have to be passive and soft, but you have to let it be open so they feel the safety to have the debate. But these debates can get deep and emotional and intense. As long as there's respect, no invalidation, and people are heard, you'd be surprised on the magic 
you can create in your office. Even with you and a couple of staff members, you can really create some wonderful things. And last one is uh, drive a sound decision. So you want to kind of, when you have these open debates, there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of people, a lot of voices. <laughs> so you kind of, part of you stepping back and not being the decision maker is you're kind of trying to summarize what just happened. Like, based on what everyone said, I think where we land in our is blah, blah, blah. And I think the next step for us is to write this up and then let's revisit it and make sure we're on the same page on the bullet points that we create from this debate. Great job, everyone. Like that's kind of a languaging that I would use to kind of uh, summarize as the leader and pull the information out of the debate. Um, and if you have to make a decision here or there on what the outcome is based on the debate, you can you can step up as a leader at this point, and you're still not the decision maker, you're pulling the, the, the information together. Um, what are your thoughts, Cliff, on that? Yeah, I think like that when you drive the sound decision, I think that's where like I have like a little sticky on my monitor, do what, by whom, by when, like that has to come out of that. Like can't be all talk. It's like, okay, what's the very next step? Because I'm a grand idea guy and I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to do this. But that's like a two or three year project. It's like, okay, what are we doing next? So I think that's really that space that has to come out of that. And then it is like being a debate maker doesn't mean you're not an action taker because at the end of the day, after you guys make a decision, somebody has to take action. And if we don't know the next step on that, that will be the breakdown. And that's a good point, Cliff, because if you're more of a decision maker and you make these decisions, a lot of times as the leader, you end up taking the role and getting it done because you stated this is what has to be done. No one knows how to do it that way because that's your way. Yeah. And now you're leaving with half the task of the meeting. <laughs> and now you're frustrated, upset because you're making all the decisions but you force that. So I like what you said. The leader can step back, create the debate, but then you should end that with uh, what, by whom, by when, yeah. because that's not the maturity potentially of the team at that moment, because they've been in the debate. You're going to have to step out, frame it out and leave with that clear direction at the end. That, that's really, really smart way to end the clip. And even if you're not the one driving, like in my meetings, it was the COO driving that part. So as long as there's somebody on your leadership team that drives that part of the conversation where they're framing and structuring. That's terrible. yeah. Yeah. All right. So then if this sounds super attractive, but it seems like a, a weakness or a challenge for you, there's a couple things you can do to become a multiplier in this space. So I, one of the biggest one is asking the hard questions. I think sometimes we don't put enough time into questions and curiosity and so recognizing how important that is and being prepared for that like if you're bringing a debate don't just throw a debate in the ring make sure you've spent some time thinking about it so you're able to ask the hard questions and call people out that's one of the things that's been a challenge for me is asking the hard questions because i don't ever want to make people feel small and so that's been one of my challenges then the other thing is ask for evidence like you know i know um, Dr. Joe, you and I, we, we approach our business two parts data, one part gut, you know, so it's not that I'm giving my gut up, but you got to have evidence and people are like, well, I feel like it's this. Okay, cool. Show me that. I don't want to hear like, oh, it feels like it's good. Like that doesn't mean anything. I'm like, how's the conversion rate? Oh, it feels like, I feel like we're doing pretty good. I'm like, no, no, no. What's <laughs> the numbers? Like, are we at 80%? Are we at 50%? Because it can feel good if we just walked out of the one we closed, but the three before that we didn't. So, you know, so make sure you're getting the data. And then um, really ask for everyone's input, like go beyond, like bring up the people that, like the introverts, because, you know, the introverts, man, they're sitting in the back being quiet. And if you call them out, you're like, hey, you know, 
you know, Michelle or John, like, what's your thought on this? They're like, oh, and then they all of a sudden they start spewing out genius. We had somebody on our corporate team that like all of a sudden, like he's sitting there genius in the room, has any opportunity he wants to step up. But then when we pulled him aside and we asked him, he like Zach just poured out genius. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like we missed a year of this guy's genius because we didn't ask him. So make sure you ask people. And then this is one of my favorites is, you know, as you're getting into this debate, like you get these two people who are really heated, have them switch sides, say, okay, now you debate for that and you debate for that and see where that goes. Cause that's honestly where a lot of juice comes from. Joe, what's your thoughts? Yeah. I like that last component. Uh, if, pe if people get real heated and emotional, sometimes it's truly emotion because they, they, their identity is their viewpoint. Yeah. focus their identity of like that is who I am is that view and then you want to take them out of their viewpoint and have them literally debate against their view so yeah they've been sitting there red-faced raising <laughs> their voice about their position you're going to tell them now I want you to debate against the position that you're so sold on and oh, that yeah. creates such amazing impact because now they have to change their mindset and think okay what are the negatives and actually, they still are driving a win, but they're winning against their own point. And then yep. everyone will see the real beauty at, at, at the end of that. That's something I'd urge you to do immediately and just see the value of that as soon as you can. When you see two team members, it's even yourself. And yep. I don't care if it's yourself and one CA and that's your team. That's fine. Do that exercise. Flip it and say, okay, now I'm going to debate against my viewpoint. And it'll, it'll check yourself. I, I find this to be... Uh, although I learned this a while back, Cliff, I don't think we even implement this as much as we should because it's such a, a great way to create creativity, right? Oh, yeah. And I think even debating yourself, like having yourself flip on your thought processes yeah. and debate that yourself and then come because you're going to come out with way more buy-in at the end of the day because you've thought about like both sides of it. So it's really going to push the ideas further. They're going to go faster. You're going to be more likely to take action on them because you realize how important it is that you do. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, let's go to the next and the last one of the uh, these different styles. The next ones, are you more of an investor or are you more of a micromanager? So you want to think through this in, the, in your leadership style. An investor is the multiplier behavior style that's going to create more impact, more profit, more outcome with less stress. And a micromanager is going to create less impact it's going to create less leverage, less profit, more stress. So you want to start seeing where you are in these two. I'll start with the investor. An investor builds people's ownership. An investor, think of that. An investor builds your ownership and your ability to perform without me, without the leader. Um, they share insights, but give back the accountability. Uh, so if I was the investor, I would give some insight, let's say to Cliff, but I'll give him back the accountability on whatever it is. So all I'm doing is providing insight uh, and I'm helping to build his ownership and his, his ability to perform without me. That's what an investor would do. Um, so comparatively, Cliff, the micromanager. Yeah. So like on the investor, I always think of like red zone leadership, I call it. And I learned that from Dr. Stephen Franson, but talks about the first 20 yards. Like you want to get them, like create clarity, expectations, get them to that point. Then the next 60 yards, they take it. 
and they do the project, they have a hundred percent of the accountability and then they're welcome to come to me at the last, you know, if we get to the, you know, one or two yard line and they're like, Oh, I need to help on this thought process. And so that's where that red zone leadership. So I really feel like that's part of that investor side of it versus a micromanager. And, you know, again, they're going to diminish everything. Um, because they're just going to be on top of those people. They're going to jump in. They're going to create confusion. There's going to be this, like, you're going to be like the firefighter. Like your whole day will be like, Oh, I have this problem. Dr. Cliff, how should I unlock the bathroom? Um, Dr. Cliff, how should I, I'm like, what, what are you asking me? Like, should I schedule this person here? Should I, you know, they're, they're asking all these things. And so that's what a micromanager creates. The way we create it is we're over their shoulder, looking at them and saying like, are you doing this right? Are you doing that right? And so we don't let them grow. And then we don't, then we also take on a lot of responsibilities. And so one of my biggest takeaways so far in this is as I'm hearing these things, as a multiplier, when we're making everybody else a genius, that's very light. If we're in that diminisher or we're the genius, it's very heavy. Like everything falls on us, all the accountability, all the responsibility. And so not only does this create a better environment to work in, but it creates a better place for the owner um, or the, you know, the CEO to be in also. So that's the micromanager. They're tough to work for. Nobody likes them. Everybody, like nobody's happy in those environments. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, like they won't even, they'll be, they'll get confused because you'll give them one idea. Then the next day you'll have another idea. And they're like, what do you want me to do? They don't even do their own thing. So that's where micromanaging I think is brutal. Yeah, I'd agree. If, if we look at all the styles we've talked about from the know-it-all, the micromanager, the decision maker, um, they all limit people's ability to think and be creative and grow their own leadership. So what you're doing is stagnating your team so they don't progress in their consciousness really overall they have less self-awareness because you're thinking for them and speaking for them. So they don't grow their consciousness. So their potential is stagnating. That's really yeah. the essence of all of this. So in all of these different styles, you need more patience. You need to ask more questions versus have more uh, insights and answers. Uh, you need to create more uh, safety, uh, create more creativity. Like that's the essence of the whole journey that we're on. But as a micromanager itself, um, you in your journey to try to become more of what you would call an investor, there's three main practices that you want to engage in if you want to migrate from a micromanager to an investor. And I will say micromanagement is very common in healthcare because whether it's a hospital, an ER room, a chiropractor's office, clinicians that are in charge bark orders. Uh, get get me a CAT scan on this one, uh, schedule them for their workshop, give them that nutrient, there's barking orders, clinics, clinicians. I've hired a number of clinicians to come into our uh, Align Life and it's tough migration because everything's expected now. They just wanna trump their answer at the moment they want it because they want everyone to stop and listen to them because that's the environment they had in the clinic. So even as a clinician in the clinic, if you start changing that mindset that you're not at the front desk every three minutes barking orders, but you start more creating standard operating procedures where things are more automated, things more hands off, that you're more working on what you need to work on versus interrupting other people all day long because they have their own work they're supposed to be doing. So some of the yeah. practice you can engage in, number one is to uh, establish ownership upfront when you want to become an investor. Um, so you name the person who's in charge. Michelle, you are in charge of this project. 
Um, and that you're, that what you want to accomplish is X. What's the outcome you want Michelle to do? Um, and you're pushing them a little bit past their comfort zones, and then you're supporting them. I love the concept of you have a number of direct supports, not solely a number of direct reports, meaning people report to you as the leader. You want to support them. So you stretch them, push them past their comfort zones, but support them. The next one, uh, investors, uh, invest resources so people can succeed. That's your de-hassling your team, right? That's, that's the concept of being a direct support or de-hassling. They need more training. They need a bigger budget. They need more clarity. Those are three big rocks you can give, clarity, budget, training, resource. Like that's what your job is once they know what they have to do and they have a plan to get there. Um, if they slip, have some backup. Another staff member that can guide them. You don't want them falling down or falling off the cliff. You don't mind if they scratch their knee and you pick them back up and keep them on the task until they get the win. Because then next time they're more mature and they're going to believe in themselves more. What you're doing is nurturing leadership by helping people through their big goal that they're trying to accomplish. And another team member, yourself, are there to guide them, support them, and, and make sure that they reach the outcome that they're set to reach. It will build a win, and a win creates a higher consciousness and more belief in themselves as a human. Like they're, they have more self-respect and more self-confidence. And that's a good leader creates that journey to higher confidence, more self-awareness. That's a good leader. The last thing is hold people accountable. Um, give back the permission after helping them. If I, they scratch their knee and you pick them back up, you say, all right, you're back up. Here's the ball. Keep kicking the ball or, or keep running that ball. You get them back up and letting them keep on path. Don't take, do not take away the job detail in the middle of the project of whatever you ask them to do. Even if you have to guide them the rest of the way, they have to take, take it to the finish line. Taking it away is just going to diminish them, weaken them, and not, even though you want to do it, because you know how to do it. You can't do that to the people. Uh, you have to expect a completed project, an outcome. Whatever it is you gave them, you have to expect that and let people bear the consequences of their action. If they can't get the job done at all, they may be the wrong seat, the wrong person, the wrong seat of the bus. They may not have the competency. They have to get it wanted, have the capacity to do it. And if they don't have one of those, there may be either move them in their position or they may not be a good fit for your business. And you have to be able to go through that exercise and, uh, and honor that for your business because everyone deserves for everyone to be an A player on the team. Cliff, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. Like all that just speaks my love language. That's probably one of my, my favorite ones and probably one of my weakest ones that when I look at the ones that are weak, that are probably holding me back, it's probably that one. Cause I'm always helping. I don't give ownership as well as I need to. And I don't take ownership in some of my things either. I'm like, Oh, it's a team effort. So, um, some of the things for me, like I know that like becoming a multiplier in this arena that would really help is, you know, if it's me that I have 51% of the vote, which means my vote trumps, but I'm also accountable for the end result. So I'm clear on what I'm supposed to accomplish, but I also have the vote and how I get to do that and how I get there. Um, just like you were saying, let nature take its course. So don't intervene directly, but look for teachable moments to offer guidance. So it's not like every time I'm going to come in like, Oh, I, I, told you so like that's one of the worst things in like that versus like come alongside of them 
you know, wait for them to ask for help, ask them if, how the project's going. So always be by their side and let them know that you're there, but not that hyper rapid responder. Um, and I love this and Joe, you taught me this, but ask for their recommended fix. Like you're, when you talk about your dad being a manager, he's like, well, what do you think you should do? Great. What do you think the problems are going to be with rice? Great. Are you, do you have solutions for those? Great. I totally agree with that. Go get it. And so, and I think that was like such a powerful thing. Cause I'm always like <laughs> trying to answer. And I don't know, like you could probably do better with your dad's story on that since it's your dad's story. No, we should tell that. Cause that's a, it's a funny story as a kid. Well, finish your last point and then let's end on that. Cause that's a yeah. funny, I think the last part, just give it back to them after helping them. Don't hold on to it. I think a lot of times we, we like, we're like, Oh, you're asking me for my help. So then we finish the project versus like, cool, here's the, here, let me help you with the next step and then give it back to him. Step back. Um, the book had a great story on it because it's easy, but again, it becomes heavy if you're always the one fixing everything. So, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm Cliff, yeah. the story, it's, it's one of my favorite stories as a kid. My dad was a, uh, a branch manager of Xerox corporation, New York city. He ran customer service for, for New York City. So it was a pretty big role. Um, and I went to work with him as a young kid, probably nine years old, to watch him work. And he had this big office and couches and table and his desk. And it was, and I just loved, I think I brought my matchbox cars. I'd sit on the floor. It was a blast in this big office. It was well, proud to be in, you know, your dad's office. But I didn't know what he was doing because he just sat behind a desk and he wasn't like doing anything. And I, I always asked him, what do you do? He goes, well, I manage. I'm like, well, what does manage mean? <laughs> I didn't know what the term was. So I'm sitting there and then I remember this lady coming in and then she said, do you have a few minutes? I said, sure. She sat down and I had my matchbox and I was listening. I'm like, what is, what is he doing with her? And she asked him, I'm trying to figure out how to solve X. And he said, well, what do you think would be the best way to solve it? And she said, well, either this or this. And he said, well, which one do you think is better? And she said, I think this one's better. Well, why do you think that's better? Well, because of this, this. Well, what do you think the problems are going to be if you do that one? Well, blah, 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 blah. Well, how would you solve those problems? Well, I would do this. Okay, great. I think it, I think you have a good plan. Have a good day. And they'd walk out. The next person came in the same cycle. So he asked like 10 questions. And then they left. And I was mad. I was like, Dad. You're not doing anything. You're just asking them questions. You don't even help them. And he's like, well, that's my job is to help them find their answers. Um, and my dad would always say, he goes, I've never really fired anyone, but uh, a number of people have fired themselves in my company. And I had to express to them why they fired themselves. And they knew it because I told them before, you're going to end up firing yourself if you don't do X, Y, Z. And then when you would fire them, he'd say, well, you know what happened. You fired yourself by not honoring your own uh, plan that we discussed together. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, that's that's you, your behaviors created that outcome. So he took no ownership even of them firing themselves. <laughs> so it was like, he came home happy. He wasn't mad at anyone. He didn't even work hard. He just asked questions. So <laughs> the true essence of a, uh, a good leader, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So those were the all five. So um, in the next, the next two, the next one, we're going to really talk about what two or three do you need to master? And how can you do that? And what two or three that you suck at that we're going to dive into? And how can you become efficient at it and be competent in it? We have to be competent in everything, but we don't have to be masters. We really want to be master of two or three. And we'll go into that on the next episode. Any final closing thoughts, Joe? 
Yeah, so think about if you've watched the others, if you haven't, you can go back and listen to them about these different styles. And again, to recap from the beginning, there's behaviors and personality styles that will multiply the effect, the outcome, the productivity, the profit of your office. And there's behavior styles, personality traits that will diminish outcome, diminish profit, diminish the uh, contribution by your team. And what you want to do is take a few of these, like Cliff saying, which we'll go over next time and decide which ones do you want to uh, enhance, strengthen, improve, and which diminishing qualities do you want to slowly work to eliminate? I know mine, Cliff, you know yours. We're going to help you, the listeners, the podcast, to actually define what you want to get done. And then uh, it's going to help you multiply your impact with your business. So I'm really excited about the next one. And then we'll ra- wrap up on the, the final one after that is Oof. other very distinct behavior styles that uh, are very clear to understand. And I know it's now both you and I on just behavior <laughs> styles that you can quickly understand and change immediately as soon as it's showcased to you. So I'm excited for that as well. Honestly, I know for me, like with this and this whole project, like the the last one is the one that just like brings it all home. Like that's where all the, a lot of the juice is like understanding. It's like we're building, understanding, building, understanding. And it's like, oh, is the last one. So next one will help you decide. And then the last one will show you um, some really awesome stuff. So thank you guys so much. And um, thank you, Dr. Joe, for your genius. I really appreciate you and love doing this with you. Awesome. Me as well. Have a great day. For opportunities to build your dream practice, presented by Dr. Fisher, reach out to Align Life Centers for Natural Health at AlignLifeOpportunity.com.